This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 51. Want to know what it's like to work in the Air Force as an air traffic controller or a manager? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to design approaches? Think of working part-time as a college professor or a flight instructor. Well, today I have with me someone who has experience in all these fields and more. You know, the path towards your career goal is not straight, but a journey full of variety and exciting adventures. One person who personifies this journey is Russ Roslowski. Russ has had many interesting jobs in his aviation career, including the Air Force, the FA, and now working as an adjunct professor and flight instructor. Russ has some great advice for those pursuing a career in aviation and is someone we should all admire for his ability to consistently move forward in his career and have fun along the way. I know you'll find his story fascinating and helpful in pursuing your career goal. Well, Russ, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Well, thanks, Carl. It's good to be here. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming here tonight. And actually, Russ has been on uh, another show that we're associated with, and that was Stuck Mike Gavcast. He talks about uh, his career there and uh, a little more technical. So if you want to listen to that as far as what he, what he did uh, technically and uh, some other really interesting stuff, that's at Stuck Mike Gavcast, episode 66. Uh, but before we get started, a quick uh, word about our sponsors. If you do like this podcast, I'd appreciate you going out and visiting our sponsors. Uh, they're all in the right column there. Also, if you could uh, and you want to donate, we don't take donations, but if you want to become an annual member, uh, you can go to the memberships page and sign up. If you're interested in scholarships, uh, the first 60 scholarships on the website are free afterwards. Uh, you just pay a small monthly or annual membership fee, and you can actually get all the scholarships there. We're constantly updating them. One thing I'd like you to do is, if you can, go out there and sign up for our email list on the side, on the right side of the screen there. And the reason being is that that'll help you understand what updates we'll have. We're constantly adding new products and services to help you attain your career goal. Well, Again, we're here with Russ, and Russ, actually, uh, you you really, uh, there's a lot of folks out there that are uh, talk about changing careers and whether having this varied background is, is not good, but you know what? It hasn't hurt you at all, and it's actually helped you, and I think you've done a great job moving forward in your career. But before we talk about that, uh, just a little bit of, of your background as far as why, why aviation? How did you get involved in aviation? Well, you know, it, it really kind of started in high school, I, I guess, with, with a lot of folks that are, are passionate about aviation. I had a, had a friend in high school who was involved in the local Civil Air Patrol unit, and he invited me out to some, some meetings, and I went and got involved in that. And, and through the Civil Air Patrol, I was able to get a couple of flights. I remember one in a glider and uh, one in a, a powered aircraft. And I thought, you know, this, this is pretty great. I, I like this a lot. And I knew I wanted to go in the military. That was just, just something I knew from freshman year of high school. And so I thought, you know, I, I want to be a pilot in the, in the military. And I think probably the best way to go for that would be to go to the Air Force Academy. So, so I kind of, um, I applied myself during, uh, during my high school years. My parents gave me that, that push I needed to, to kind of get going with, uh, with the application process and all. And, and they were very supportive and worked with me to, to, to fill out all the paperwork and do all the, uh, the, the whole process, getting the, um, 
the classes I needed to get done and the, uh, you know, the sports and the activities and all that. And, and I got, ultimately I got accepted to the Air Force Academy. When I went there, just surrounded by airplanes and aviation and, and just, just wonderful in that regard. Uh, the second summer I was there, I participated in a program, which many uh, of the cadets there do. And it's the soaring program, probably flew a glider about nine or 10 times and got to solo it at the end. Uh, I thought, wow, this, this is really fantastic. I, I love this. This is definitely what I want to do. Sophomore year, I, I found out they had uh, an aero club there at the Air Force Academy, a normal aircraft rental and training uh, organization at the, the airport. And so between classes and on weekends, I went down and I got my private pilot's license. And I thought, man, this, this, is, this is really what I want to do. Uh, and now that I'm a private pilot, I, I think I'm going to be uh, pretty well set up for getting into Air Force pilot training. And unfortunately, right before my senior year, they, they conduct a very thorough medical evaluation to determine if you are pilot qualified. And I had a kind of a minor medical condition, which wasn't, wasn't a problem for non-pilots, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't waive it uh, for pilot training, unfortunately. So, uh, so at that point, I was, you know, my, my goal kind of fell through. You know, I was, I was almost without a goal and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I loved aviation. I still wanted to stay in aviation. And so, uh, like you mentioned uh, earlier in your introduction, I, I went in, I became an air traffic controller in the Air Force and uh, did that for about 11 years. So you, you medicaled out. Now, just as, as far as uh, the last episode, we talked a little bit about this, that if you go into the military and think you're going to be flying when you go to the military, there's, there's a high chance that you, you will not. I don't know. Um, do you have any stats on that possibly or any idea how many people actually aren't able to finish or get into pilot training because of their medical? No, I really don't. No, because I know I hear it. I hear that often. It's like I well, I was going to get in, but I couldn't, and um, it, it's quite. I'll, I'll get some stats. So I'll, I'll look them up. But but what's interesting is you took that and you stopped and you said, okay, I'm going to move forward. You also mentioned something else about the Civil Air Patrol, and um, move. And we'll talk a little bit about getting into the Air Force Academy because you actually worked uh, as a liaison officer with the uh, Air Force Academy, and we have right. many listeners that have written in that have said, hey. How do I get into the Air Force Academy? So I'm going to ask you some things in a, in a moment, but but let's go back to what you said about the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, a lot of people don't realize they have like a cadet program, and it's uh, an auxiliary of the Air Force. They also have search and rescue, and they do some drug interdiction, that type of thing. Uh, but that's almost it's almost like the Boy Scouts. So, do you think that Civil Air Patrol would would be one of the best organizations to get involved with, or would be, it would rank way up there as far as trying to get into the Air Force Academy? Well, it certainly worked for me. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I had a great time. I learned a lot in the Civil Air Patrol. And it was just, just being surrounded by aviation and, and pilots and airplanes and learning the, the, the search and rescue things and, and the uh, aerodynamics and other aviation education, history of aviation. I, it was just fascinating to me. And, and I, I was able to, to really apply myself and, and get a lot out of that program. And that, that program actually has seniors and also cadets, and I really, uh, you know what, I'm going to put a link out there for the Civil Air Patrol, because I, I give them kudos to them. They are just wonderful. There's a lot of other podcasters, a lot of the people that are, that are involved with the Civil Air Patrol. They really do teach you the discipline. They teach you a little bit more about the, about the uh, military. But so now you have the Civil Air Patrol. Let's get back to um, <clears throat> you are a liaison officer for the Air Force Academy. How about a little bit of advice to someone who's now uh, – we'll go – we'll run the gambit of somebody who's young, 
uh, that wants to start preparing for an interview and preparing themselves to try to get into the academy, and somebody also who's who's right up there on the cusp and, and just ready, and they're in high school and ready to go, what type of advice would you have about applying and also interviewing with the Air Force Academy? Well, yeah, this this was actually one of one of the neat uh, extra jobs I had while in the Air Force. I mean, of course. When you're in the military, if you get assigned some kind of additional duty, it's not often a really great job. <laughs> you know? But uh, but it's one I actually volunteered for. And it was it was it was really neat. Uh, there are as part of the application process to the Air Force Academy. You, once you get past a couple of the first hurdles, uh, you'll go and actually interview with an Air Force Academy liaison officer who is uh, either an active duty or reserve officer in the Air Force, and. This this interview is really just you know for the academy to be able to put a almost like put a face with the name get that hands on you know is this person someone we want going to the Air Force Academy? So the person that's a, that's applying to the academy, they they actually are somebody who's you know doesn't know know what to do and who to go to, and you're you're the person they're going to see first. Then they're actually going to have to talk to a liaison officer first. So I guess really what what's the liaison officer looking for? Well, what we what we did was, uh, like I said, once they kind of clear the first couple of hurdles uh, on the application process, the, the the student will will apply generally during their junior year in high school, um, and fill out a very basic uh, application form. Uh, what you know, demographic information, uh, what what school you in, what are your grades, uh, any SAT scores, just that kind of sports, that kind of basic information, um, and then they'll screen that and send back if you make that first cut, they'll send back a more complete application uh, form and just tons and tons of forms and essays and, and all this kind of thing. Uh, as part of that second stage, uh, you go to this interview with the uh, Academy Liaison Officer, which I was. And the purpose of that is is really just to, to get that b- better sense of what type of person this is. And, and the, the interviews were really really interesting and they're very similar I'm sure to a lot of job interviews because well in, in many ways it was a job interview and I would get I'd get high school uh, students applicants uh, coming in and I'd usually interview them at, at my office on the Air Force Base so they got kind of surrounded by that that uh, environment and they would I just asked them you know, some general air, general questions. Of why do you want, why do you want to go to the Air Force Academy? Well, you know, what what are you hoping to get out of it? What do you, are you looking for a career? Uh, these kind of things. And what what amazed me was some of them. I guess this didn't amaze me. Was some of them were really well prepared, like like you'd expect. But what did amaze me is some of the some of the applicants, like many job applicants would be, were surprisingly not prepared. And, and, and they, they would, they would come in, they wouldn't really know. I mean, it, it, it was very obvious sometimes that their, say their parents uh, were pushing that way or, or they had an uncle who was in the military and that's why they wanted to go, but they really didn't want to be there. Um, so th- that came out to be pretty clear and very obvious. Wow. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's not anything necessarily bad against the, the applicant, of course, uh, they're, they're being put there when they maybe didn't want to be there. But but then I had the complete other end of that where I remember specifically one one applicant comes in and uh, and we sit down. I introduce myself and he had he had great uh, test scores, the SATs. He I think he was varsity soccer, um, all the clubs, just just the model uh, applicant on paper. And and so I introduce myself and, and 
and I started asking questions. And right off the bat, he comes out with, you know, I, I'm really, I really want to go to West Point to, to the Army. Um, I'm not really interested in the Air Force Academy, but I'm here just in case, uh, in case I don't make it to, uh, to West Point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just about fell out of my chair because I, I, you, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, that, that would be like going into a job interview and saying, you know, I don't, really don't want to work here. I want to work for your competitor, but, uh, but I'm here as a backup. So yeah, un- needless to say, he did not get a real high recommendation from me, of course. But, uh, well, and that's bad. I mean, they, you know, we talk about in other episodes how during this shortage of pilots for the regionals, boy, that people are just are saying things like that. And, and that's not good. Why is that not good, by the way? I mean, I have my opinions and we voice them. But why do you feel that's a, that's a bad thing to do? Well, for one, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, if this if this guy did not get into West Point, now he really didn't have a backup plan, right. of course, because uh, he wasn't getting into the Air Force Academy. Now, now, why wasn't he getting it? Was it because he was a bad uh, student? No, of course not. He had excellent grades and all that. But if he didn't want to be there, uh, what what would it be like once he got to the Air Force Academy? You know, he's like, eh, this is this is my backup plan. I really don't want to be here. Yeah, he's probably not, probably not going to excel in that environment. Right. And, you know, that's not what we were looking for, obviously. Interesting. So, and, and that's true of any job, really, that right there, what you said. You can, you can use, I've done a bunch of interviews and, uh, in my previous life in consulting, and you can tell right away that this is not their, their primary concern, this job. But being prepared, I, I think that's a, a key point here. Being prepared and knowing as much as you can about the job is really, really important, about the academy, what you're gonna, you can expect. I think another thing, too, and I think you were going to allude to this, is, is having questions ready for the interviewer. I mean, that, that to me, when someone's interviewing and they, or I'm interviewing someone and they ask me uh, all these separate questions, like, wow, uh, you know, you're, you're actually interested in this place. And, and adding some pointing, like, you know, what's it going to be like doing it? And what's it like here? And you're like, wow, I'm, this is great. This is the kind of person I want to see. And I'm sure that you've noticed the same. Well, absolutely. The the ones who were the best prepared were, were also the ones who asked a lot of the best questions. Absolutely. Right. Right. So the the so you get through the Air Force Academy interview, and and I I don't know if there's anything you want, else you want to say about that, but uh, as far as interviews concerned, but no, I think that's uh, other good. than preparing prepared. But you get through that and you get into the academy, um, and then you move move along, and and you. And you probably have some advice for surviving, possibly, the academy. I mean, is there uh, the typical person that may may not make it through that you know of or you can tell they're not going to make it, that type of thing? You know, as far it's, as academics or something like that. Yeah. Got to put me on the spot with that question. Let me think about that for a minute. Okay. So. Yeah, totally off the script. but <laughs> That's all right. No, that's all right. I'll, I'll come with you. Uh, the, the one thing that uh, that the academy certainly teaches you is time management. Uh, there, you are extremely busy with uh, academics, very heavy academic load, uh, very heavy uh, sports or intramural uh, athletics type activities. And then there's also uh, some military training and military duties that uh, that the cadets have to have to take care of. So it's very, very busy on a time management aspect. And you really have to be good at, at, at isolating and, and, and managing your time so that you can get everything done that you need to do. Uh, the academics, uh, that, that's one of the reasons that they do require really high SAT scores and, and all the advanced uh, placement type classes. It's because the academics are hard and there's a lot of them. Uh, 
I, I think I graduated with a bachelor's degree with something like 168 uh, semester hours when usually it's, what, 120, 140, somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah. So, so very, very heavy academic load. Um, so the more you can prepare for that and the more advanced classes you can take, say, in high school. I, for example, I was able to test out of uh, about three or four uh, math classes because I had advanced math classes in high school. Well, that saved me some, some time down the road, of course. So any, any advanced preparation you can do in that regard is, is highly beneficial. Uh, athletics, of course. Uh, well, the Air Force Academy for one is at uh, 7,258 feet above sea level. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> being uh, being in shape and and uh, physical fitness, especially aerobically, was, was very important um, for me. I, I decided to run track and cross country in high school primarily to prepare myself for for uh, the high altitude of the Air Force Academy. So, for uh, anybody interested in applying, certainly the better shape you can get in before you go will definitely help you in that regard. And then before leaving the academy, one one additional point. Once you, you have that on your resume, there are certain places you can go that I think it's great to have on a resume. One of those would be the Air Force Academy. So that with hands down, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive to, to make it through that. So you always have that with you. It's kind of like being an Eagle Scout. You know, it always always show up on your resume, and that's very sure. impressive. Um, but so now let's let's go back to some of the other things you did in your career. We could, we could do like a whole episode just on, on the Air Force Academy, um, but... Let's, we have a lot to talk about because you've done so much. You went on after this and became, uh, you, you called it an airfield operations officer. And, uh, and what, is, what is an airfield operations officer? Well, the career field is, used to be known as an air traffic control officer. All, all the air traffic controllers in the Air Force are enlisted personnel, uh, sergeants and airmen. And the officer was the one in charge of the, of the tower or the, uh, or the uh, RAPCON, the radar approach control. And in the last, by the time I joined in uh, the mid-90s, it had kind of morphed. They had moved uh, airfield management underneath the same officer. So airfield management would be airfield construction projects, um, airfield inspections, uh, maintenance, and the, the people that handled that. So they moved that function under the, uh, under the officer as well and, and renamed it from just air traffic control officer to airfield operations officer. So this air, okay. So you're over the the towers, the airfield management, that type of thing. Now, one thing that that I've always wondered is here we are. In, say we're in the United States, and you, there are quite a few air traffic controllers in the Air Force. Well, why wouldn't they just go ahead and get some FAA folks to do those jobs? And, well, of course, one of the real reasons for the uh, air traffic controllers in the Air Force is you got to have someone to deploy overseas, right? So. The, there's actually quite a substantial bit of, uh, of airspace in the U.S. that's controlled by military controllers. Uh, of course, you know, everyone knows about the, uh, the restricted areas and uh, the, the test ranges and that kind of thing. But uh, one of the locations I was at was uh, at Travis Air Force Base in, in Northern California. And we had a pretty good chunk of airspace there between San Francisco and Sacramento that was assigned to the, the radar controllers there. So anybody flying through the... Uh, through that area might very well be talking to uh, one of the uh, Air Force controllers. So that airspace, like I, I know sometimes I can't go up the Atlantic coast and uh, a lot of that airspace there, that's all being controlled by the Air Force air traffic controllers and in conjunction with the FAA. So they, they do both of that. So uh, that's another place I guess that's, uh, and, I, and I assume it's also for security that they have air traffic controllers, you know, and, that, and like you said, being deployed overseas. That air traffic controller, 
though, he or she is is getting this training in the military. Now, how would that translate to a job over in the civilian world? I mean, is is it the same? I mean, do they do things differently? Yeah, you know, everybody, all the air traffic controllers in the Air Force, anyway, they follow the same uh, same regulations, the same orders as. Uh, as the FAA, with a few exceptions for the specialized type of missions that the Air Force conducts. But, but the general uh, air traffic control rules as far as uh, clearances and uh, landing and uh, IFR operations and, and all those different rules, they're all the same. So a air traffic controller in the Air Force will be pretty well set up to go be an air traffic controller for the FAA. Well, that's good to hear because I've seen people in the in – the, uh, Navy and Air Force move on to those FAA jobs. And, and as a matter of fact, we'll have some statistics, by the way. I've got some things printed up that uh, we'll have out on the website as far as jobs and prospects. It's not going to grow a lot as far as the number of controllers, but the number of prospects are growing because we have controllers that are retiring right now. So they're actually hiring quite a few. Having that background in the military is a huge leap in front of everybody else. The thing is, though, you mentioned something else about uh, airfield management jobs. I know there's, there's, there's a lot of people on this airport that handle all these different aspects, like you know, FOD and you know, people that's uh, foreign object damage, and and there's all sorts of folks out there. What other type of jobs are there, like management-wise, on a field? Well, of course, you have the 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 people that would do the airfield inspections every day, uh, driving up and down the runways looking for. Uh, you know, looking for FOD, like you said, or uh, broken airfield lights, or you know, any any repairs, any potholes in the uh, in the runway, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, you've got in the Air Force, you had uh, a base operations function, which is somewhat analogous, I would say, to a, almost like a dispatcher, except for they wouldn't do the flight planning necessarily; they would handle the flight plans, follow the flight plans. Uh, you know, flight follow for search and rescue type purposes, the uh, the flights. And uh, so there are those people as well. So, okay, so now you, you have all those types of jobs, and that, and that translates very easily into a, into a job in the civilian world, or very well, I should say. Um, but then moving on from that, okay, that's all your base. But there's other jobs out there within the military that I think people don't realize. I think you had mentioned something about being a liaison or something like that to, to uh, national leaders, foreign nationals. Explain a little bit about that. Well, sure. That, that was one of the most interesting types of jobs I got involved with. Uh, when, when the Air Force deploys and goes overseas, uh, you know, they need a, a runway, right? So these runways are usually in foreign countries. Well, I guess they're always in foreign countries. But the, the officer in charge of air traffic control and airfield management would pretty much generally be the one that would have to work these airfield access issues uh, with the host nation, the, the foreign nation. So uh, at the time I was in, most of, the, uh, most of the deployments were to the Middle East. I spent some time in Saudi Arabia and in the United Arab Emirates. And I got to a lot of one-on-one FaceTime with the foreign national leadership and working on these type of issues. And this was this this was interesting because you know being in the U.S., a lot of us are are pretty pretty isolated from foreign cultures and uh, different viewpoints and ways of looking at things. But when you get over there and you're just completely immersed in it, you realize that you know not everybody sees things the same way. Everybody's priorities are different. Uh, you had an interview uh, several episodes back with with a pilot who was flying in China, and he basically said the same thing. Uh, 
that you know, not everybody looks at things the same way that that we here in the U.S. do, or you know, even in, in any other country. So uh, it really exposed me to a lot of the uh, like I said, different different priorities and different ways of thinking about things. But I got to work closely with them on just tons of anything from small issues like how are we going to file a flight plan to do this maintenance uh, check flight to they wanted to fix the runway, but we have airplanes that still need to fly. So how are we going to deconflict uh, those type of things? So, so it, it was, it, it was really very interesting and exposed me to whole different way, whole different cultures and, and viewpoints. And the other thing too that's interesting is what you brought up is is the fact that now people are getting hired at all these different companies overseas. So it's important, right. I think. To really open your mind and, and, you know, with the internet these days, it's great. You can actually talk to people overseas or rather easily and hit right on Skype like we're recording this one. The, there's, there's so many differences in the different cultures, you know, and it really, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. You have to learn those. Because, you know, you hear lately people talking about, oh, I'm going to get a job overseas, blah, blah, blah. And they get there and they don't realize there's certain small things that may not be a big deal to them, but they are to you. But you'd never know that unless you did some studying or went over there to visit. So I tell people they really probably should head on over. I did uh, quite a few things with the folks going over to China, and a lot of folks didn't like it. They just said, no, I don't I don't like that culture. Uh, I'd rather have a different type, a more Western type of culture. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but it's good It's good to have exposure to that and to realize, yeah, the world doesn't see everything the same. You know, no matter you're in one country, they see things much differently. Now, in working as a, as a foreign national you know, liaison, that type of thing, you also were involved, I think you had mentioned, in some uh, mishaps with uh, from like an air traffic control standpoint. I have a friend that was uh, he was a tower manager and he actually was pulled into an investigation of a plane crash. Uh, you had you had mentioned you were involved in several of these types of mishaps. So that's something. No matter if you're in the military or as a civilian, you're going to be involved with. Like, wh- how does you know what happens? Why, why are you involved and how how much was your or what was the extent of your involvement? Well, it, it really from the air traffic control standpoint, you know, it obviously depends on how much air traffic control was involved. Uh, I remember I, I can't. Unfortunately, really getting the specifics necessarily, but uh, I remember one event where I was overseas and a uh, foreign aircraft uh, from a it was a French aircraft uh, crashed had had a mishap off off of the Air Force base where the U.S. Air Force was providing the radar control, but it was in a foreign country at a foreign base, but it was off base in a local civilian, uh, civilian area. So obviously lots of, uh, interesting jurisdictional challenges there. You know, who's going to investigate what, uh, who can release what information to whom. And so just all these kind of issues that we, we had to work at, work through and lots of, uh, involvement with the legal office and, and so on. But where the air traffic control, uh, part would come in was, was that, that pilot, talking to an air traffic controller. Uh, yes, he was. Um, what, what was captured on the air traffic control tapes? Of course, c- civilian airliners have cockpit voice recorders and, and so on and flight data recorders, right? Uh, a lot of some military planes do, some don't. Uh, but air traffic control also has their own recordings. So that, that forms the basis of a lot of the air traffic control uh, mishap investigations is those those ATC tapes. And uh, 
so I, I, I've had the, the pleasure numerous times of going through and transcribing some of those tapes, which is, uh, is, is very, uh, very detail oriented, very involved. But, uh, but so, so you try to determine whether ATC had any role in it. Um, and then you look at what were proper procedures followed. Did, uh, did the air traffic controller make an error of some sort? Um, unfortunately being, being the person that would work with these controllers every day, sometimes I had to, you know, directly interview some of the controllers and find out that maybe they didn't do something quite right. So of course in, in the air force, uh, just like the NTSB, I, I think, except for there's less, um, you know, there's no public comment periods and that kind of thing. Uh, like there isn't with the NTSB, but, uh, in the air force, the mishap investigation, the safety investigation, I should speak accurately is really just about preventing it from recurring. Um, the safety investigation doesn't get into whose fault it was or place blame or take any kind of uh, punitive actions. It's how can we prevent this mishap from recurring? Uh, is it a training issue? Uh, is it a procedural issue? Is it equipment failure? Do we need to, uh, are we lacking some kind of important equipment? So I, f I found mishap investigations to be a really interesting puzzle. I know you've interviewed, uh, I think, Bill English uh, from the NTSB, and he, right. he's probably said a lot of the same things. Is that It's just a big puzzle. Um, you, you, you take these pieces and you try to put them together and you try to work out what, what was the root cause of, the, of this whole problem. And that interview with Bill was was quite interesting, and they, it he, was. He, you know, <laughs> and I'll have a link to that interview. But it's the same type of thing. You're putting this big puzzle together. I think that's pretty exciting. So in air traffic control, you never know where that leads you to. Also, if you think you're just going to get into air traffic control, there's there's many other things that you can get into, like investigations, that type of thing. Plus, hey, it's it's a good uh, prep if you want to go into investigations, not just from that standpoint, but also another opportunity for a job and is an air traffic control specialist with an airline. Because, you know, they have those people at the airline that, that, and they do have, they have liaisons actually with air traffic control. And a lot of times they have a background in some type of air traffic control and operations. And, uh, you know, to keep an airline running, they have to make some quick decisions, you know, say, okay, which we, air, ATC says you got to cancel 20 flights and you got 10 flights going in there. Which one are you going to do? So you got to work with the company and air traffic control, and it's all real time. You know, it's like if you're waiting too long, too bad, you're going to cancel this one. You know, they'll make the decision for you. So that's pretty exciting. Um, now, it, you also this this whole air traffic control investigations ATC led you into another career field that you were interested in doing, and um, that was actually with the FAA. Uh, you worked into a, a procedures type of thing, do, doing terminal procedures, and we talked about that, but uh, on on the stuck mic avcast, but. How did and how and why did you do that? Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because it's not something I ever would have initially thought. No, that's something I should get into. But at my first base as an officer, so here I am, new lieutenant, right? And and in the Air Force, at least at the time, uh, the terminal procedures were done at that base by a person assigned to that base. Okay. So it was very local. And that person worked for the airfield operations officer, me. And so I had my TERP specialist there assigned to the tower. And we had a lot of, a lot of concerns and issues and things to resolve. So I was working with him a lot. And he obviously very much enjoyed his work. <laughs> he was very, very into it. And, and it, you know, it, when you're, 
when you work with someone who really likes what they do, it really shows and it kind of rubs off on you, right? So, so we'd work together on some projects and, and I, I moved on and, you know, different bases and, and afterwards, but I never really forgot how interested this guy was in this, uh, in this career field. And when I decided to get out of the Air Force, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> okay. Uh, what am I going to do now? And I thought back to this guy. I said, you know, the stuff he was doing, you know, maps and charts and uh, flying procedures and math and this kind of stuff, I, that looked pretty fun. And he liked it. Maybe I would too. So I, this is all about networking, really. Yeah. I talked to my boss in the Air Force. Okay. And he just happened to know pretty well the manager of the FAA organization that did this. So he sent him off an email recommending me. And I mean, this is, I'm essentially quitting a job here, right? And, and my boss is recommending me to another job, which, you know, I, I guess that, that's a good sign. So, um, yeah, so, so he emailed the, the manager of the FAA. And, and I think I went over and talked to the manager of the FAA there. And he told me, well, you know, we're not hiring anybody right now, unfortunately, but I'm going to hand your... Uh, hand your resume off to the manager of the contract company that also helps them out doing the same kind of work. Okay, fine. Months go by. I've well past forgotten about this whole conversation. I'm still looking for a job. As a matter of fact, uh, since I got out of the Air Force, I had to re-register my, my car and uh, get a driver's license and that kind of thing for the state I was in. So I, I was literally down at the DMV waiting in line reading the help wanted ads in the little free booklet there. <laughs> when I get a call on a phone, this guy says, hi, I'm so-and-so and, -so, and uh, I've got your resume in front of me. Would you like a job? Oh, wow. Uh, yes. Doing what? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so and it turned out he was the, he was the contract manager and yeah, he, he offered me a job right there. So that was the best trip I ever took to the DMV. But, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, from, from there I worked for the, the contract company for a, about a year and then, uh, then was hired by the FAA to do the same job. Uh, the thing with, with the FAA and with, uh, with a lot of federal jobs, but specifically this type of one, is they required at least a year of experience doing this type of work because there, there were programs to hire interns and, you know, from college and bring them up, but that was very limited. Most of the people that they wanted, they wanted people already had experience who could just step right into the job and do it. Well, who does, who does, who designs approach procedures? <laughs> who does TERPs? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the only government agencies that do this are the FAA and the military. And, there are some civilian agencies that, that'll do this type of work for, especially for, uh, for foreign countries. The foreign countries will contract with these companies. But it's a really small career field, right? And so the, the general way, there's only one or two ways to do it. Either you've done it in the Air Force, which I hadn't actually done it in the Air Force. I just had the person who did it work for me. Or work for the contract company. So I did that for about a year and got hired by the FAA. And uh, this job I found really interesting. Um, as I talked with about on the other interview, it was what we were doing was designing approach and departure procedures for airplanes into and out of airports of all sizes. I mean, from uh, Atlanta and JFK down to uh, the small 3,000-foot runways that 
that most people drive by and don't even know are there. So, so we were getting the planes into these fields safely in instrument conditions, in the weather, in the clouds, uh, looking at the uh, terrain and obstructions and air traffic procedures and uh, making sure we could get them, get them in safely and establish the courses and altitudes that would allow them to do that. But I found this work really interesting. Uh, it, lots, of, lots of math, a little bit of science, uh, flight procedures, uh, weather, and uh, map reading. So, so it was a perfect match for me. So if somebody who's uh, younger and starting out saying, this is really cool, I'd, I want to look at maybe designing approaches and doing something that technical, uh, I think you touched on what you said, math, science, those type of things would be something you would, I guess, recommend to get into early on uh, and, and move forward in that direction, I would assume. Yeah, anything of that type of nature, math and science and so on, it would be good for this type of career field, yeah. And there's, um, and there's a big push right now, especially in aviation, uh, towards the science, technology, and engineering, and math, the STEM programs right. uh, that you see out there. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm putting a bunch of STEM scholarships out on our website. We just started doing that the other day. So if uh, you want to check out some – because there's scholarships for these too. I mean, for within the STEM programs, there are so many different types of scholarships for all different career fields. Uh, it's just so wide open. So I, you know, I encourage people to take a look at that. Uh, especially if you're, you know, moving towards a career and looking for a degree. But, you know, I, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you can get into one of these positions without without a four-year degree, I assume. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you don't necessarily need uh, a four-year degree to go work for this type of job for the FAA. Uh, some people would have them, some wouldn't, uh, especially the people who uh, came from the Air Force or the or or any other military service with this type of experience um, already have the experience that's, that's required, they wouldn't necessarily need to have a four-year degree. Interesting. So, again, it goes back to the we, – we talked about this on our last episode where, yeah, you, you know, it's highly recommended to get your, your four-year degree 90 of course, some of odd course. percent. But, you know, and like if you want to be an airline pilot we were talking about last episode, if you have 10,000 hours, you'll probably get hired if you don't have a four-year degree. But but it it, it actually is, is probably a really good idea to get that degree under your belt. And, uh, you know, I have people ask me all the time, hey, I got my two-year degree and I, you know, I can't get them to call me. And I said, well, you know, especially with certain jobs, there's so much competition out there. And this just puts you in, in the forefront. Uh, in front of all those other people, so I think you were, it's it's a great idea. But if, it, it, like you said, if you had that type of experience, it it wouldn't be required. But it's a good idea because what what if you lose your job doing that? That's, that's absolutely sure. yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- that's pretty cool stuff. Designing approaches and all, and and I uh, you know again, I there's not a lot of people in that career field, but that sounds real. You know, I'm fascinated by it, and I I look at approaches all the time, and. Of course, I get on my other website, expertaviator.com, I get a lot of questions about approach procedures and that type of thing. Uh, it's interesting from a design point to understand the approaches. It's also, uh, there's another side of it, the operational standpoint. And uh, it, it's, it's quite interesting how the, how the two sometimes don't coincide because sometimes you, you get into the design aspects and you get a little bit too far into the weeds and then you realize, wait a minute, what am I going to do here in a practical situation? What if someone doesn't give me a heading or an altitude? And and how do I how do I go about that? 
So you know that that background is is pretty cool from from the design aspect. But you also, if say you're in that background, you also have to know how to practically apply it while you're actually flying the airplane, which is kind of fascinating. So it'd be kind of it would need to have be need to have somebody who's who's uh, in the airplane to, who talks about as you're doing the arrival. Hey, you know why they put this in here? <laughs> you know, <that'd> be, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of fun to have them in the cockpit with you. That's for sure. But they, you know. That that is absolutely some fascinating stuff, and as far as putting the approach procedures together and and uh, all the the math involved, and uh, there's if you ever get a chance, uh, if, uh, as a matter of fact, I tell you what, I'll put that out there with the Terps, a link to the Terps manual, uh, just because of the the fact that it's it's pretty it's dry reading, but if you <laughs> fi- if you read that and you're excited, this is what you need to get into, because <laughs> I like reading it. I think it's pretty cool stuff. That's for sure. Um, but if, it, if you know, do you, do you regret leaving that job? Uh, it sounds like you really enjoyed it. I did, and I had to leave for for some family reasons. But uh, yeah, I I definitely you know we all have jobs we we, we don't like, and we have jobs that uh, we do like, and that was definitely in the the do like column, definitely. Right. So now you, what you've done is you've progressed and you've moved on away from that job into another another job outside of aviation right now, um, but. You've actually, and this is what's pretty cool, is you have been able to keep your hand in aviation and in training. And you, by to do that, you became a flight instructor and also you're an adjunct professor. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got your, your instructor licenses and any, if, if you, you know, there was any challenges along the way there and how you were able to work yourself into this other position teaching at a school. Well, yeah, I, I've been flying for about. 20 years, uh, just mostly hobby flying. You know, I'd, I'd added ratings every few years and, and just to, you know, keep, keep my mind fresh and keep working on something. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago I said, you know, I, I really like this flying stuff. I've, I've got some interesting background with, through air traffic control and, uh, the FAA and all that, you know, I, I think I might actually want to teach this. And so I went and, you know, just bit the bullet and, uh, Got my instructor ratings and got my uh, got then uh, went and got my instrument instructor rating and the school I did the training at about a month later said hey Russ uh, you want to come work here I said well yeah I'd love to you understand it's got to be part time I have a, you know, a a day job so so they, they they said okay you know that that's okay we understand just you know tell us. You know how, how many students you can take, or what kind of hours you can work, and that kind of thing. So, so I was I was very fortunate that I was able to work that out with with them and and my wife, and say, okay, this is really something I want to do, and I was able to to keep that balance. You know, ha- having a couple students at a time, maybe, and uh, working mostly nights, weekends, uh, but you know, not too much, or <laughs> or I would never see my family, but. Uh, so it's been really fortunate, and what that also allowed me to do, because this flight school is tied in very closely with the local community college's aviation department, uh, I was also able to get some work as as an adjunct professor there. Now, the uh, the work I was able to do there so far has been uh, as a simulator instructor. Uh, they have a Redbird FMX simulator, which I know you've flown. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Cool machine. It, 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 it's it's a very it's a very cool machine. It's uh, it's well, it's a full motion simulator. It's it's obviously not a it's not a several you know twenty five million dollar simulator like uh, 
like some of the real expensive ones. But it does move. It has some motion. Uh, it has uh, several uh, monitors that kind of wrap around uh, wrap around the inside of the cockpit there to give some peripheral vision and that kind of thing. It can be configured for many, many different types of aircraft just by swapping out panels. So uh, I, I've done some instruction in that, both with instrument students and uh, and private students, just working through procedures or uh, instrument failures. Uh, what happens if your uh, pitot system ices up or... Uh, your you know, radios go out or your vacuum pump. So different types of systems failures, which that's really good at simulating and practicing stuff that you really wouldn't want to do in the airplane. So now let's let's talk a little bit about this this part-time job and the adjunct professor. You kind sure. of sound like me. You have a lot of things going on, but there is a way to balance your, your have your work-life balance here like you just alluded to, and there's a lot of folks listening that want to do this as a part-time career. They don't want to be in it full-time. I've, um, I have a couple suggestions as far as, as doing something like this part-time, and mine is to, to really have a, a good, uh, some ability somehow to schedule properly and enable people to jump into your schedule, but don't, don't overdo it. Don't take on too many students. Um, how, do you have any, any advice as far as somebody who's thinking about being a, a part-time instructor, because be honest with you, when I when I talk about a part-time instructor, you really aren't. When you're that student that you're working with, that's that's your priority. You know, it, sometimes part-time jobs doesn't mean it, it means that it's just something on the side. But you're bringing a level of professionalism. You're you're bringing a, a level of of integrity to that job that's much higher than most other part-time jobs. So any, any advice there as far as, as what you would give people to be successful in a part-time instructing position? Well, yeah, certainly you have to know your own limitations, right? And this was something that, you know, when I started instructing, how many students can I take? I don't know. You know, I, yeah, I'm new at this, right? So, so if you can get other people's opinions, that would help. But uh, a little bit of just trial and error, you know, maybe take one and see if you know, how that works out and, you know, maybe take two if that's working out okay. But uh, I was able to establish a pretty set schedule and, 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 and stick to it, you know, whether, you know, whatever works for you, maybe instruct on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays or, you know, something like that. Uh, that way you can kind of balance your, this, you know, your full-time job and your part-time job and your home life with, you know, it's very important, of course. So, uh, you got to have some kind of balance there. Uh, the one thing I would say, you know, I know some part-time instructors who, who would like to do more instruction, but they just don't have that, flow of, of students. Maybe they're kind of part-time instructor for a, a club, for example. So they, they do everybody's flight reviews every couple of years, but you know, unless someone's trying to upgrade a rating or something, there's not a whole lot of other work. I was very fortunate to be, get tied in with this flight school, which is a pretty busy school. It's small, but it's busy. And through a good understanding with the, the chief instructor there, you know, I, I could have one student, two students, 10 students if I wanted them. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had a pretty steady flow. Anytime one would finish up, I'd, I'd, I'd call her up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm done with Carl. I need another student. And, uh, she's, I'd, I'd have, you know, that the next person's number in an hour probably. So, so they had a good, uh, a good system there. A lot of, uh, you know, students ready to go. 
And, and so that worked out really well for me is just getting that steady flow because what I really didn't want was you know, have a couple students and be working, 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 and then have a couple months where I have nobody, you know. So, so if you can get as a part-time instructor, if you can get tied in with maybe a little bit busier operation like, like a flight school or something, I think that's the way to go. You know, the, the other thing too is, um, and I think the great part about that is, is the scheduling because they can schedule. You say, hey, listen, I'm available these days, and they just throw people in your schedule. The other aspect of that is, is working on your own like I do. Uh, it, it's it's somewhat difficult, but uh, if you get your name out there, especially if you're involved in the aviation community, uh, you will get busy. You'll get really, really busy. And another interesting aspect of somebody working part-time, and this is what's been fascinating. A lot, I've been to many different flight schools and, uh, you know, been, you know, assistant chief and chief of different uh, flight schools around the country. The person who's working part-time that has lots of experience many times is busier than the full-time instructor, which is amazing. I mean, I, and, and that, I, I sat there and I watched this person. They come in like almost every day after work and then on the weekends because that person has so much experience and people want to fly with that person. So the quality is there. Just because it's not, there's not a lot of quantity, you're not giving a lot of instruction to a lot of different people, there's still a lot of quality there and, and people want to fly with you. Uh, the other good thing about that, and uh, I know a lot of the instruction organizations out there like to promote this, is by doing that, you can actually command a little bit higher pay. Uh, not if you're working through a flight school, but if you're working on your own. That is true. And, and I think that. Have you done any of that on your own? Have you ever done, you know, gone to the airport and just done a, like a flight review for somebody you know, that type of thing? Yeah, I've done it. Just a, a very few of those flights. I'm kept pretty busy uh, through the through the school, but yeah, I've done a little bit of that. So not not uh, a little a little more granularity on this. The um, are you able to make some money? You know, kind of give us not how much you make, but you, you know, does it it help you with your bills? I mean, are you able to use that money to do things with it? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, Obviously, flight instructors, you know, flight instructor pay is the uh, subject of many discussions. But, um, yeah, it, it, it helps, you know, pay some bills and uh, support my hobbies and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not setting me up for early retirement by any means, but, uh, but, but it's certainly providing a little extra money. And, and, and it's fun. I mean, that's, that, that's, the main, that's the main thing. You know, I, I'm having a great time teaching, and, and while – well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do it for free, obviously, but uh, you know, because my it is my business, but it, it's so much fun. Yeah, and I think you you touched on something there. You're doing your hobby, and you're having fun, and you're getting paid, and it's paying some bills. That's a perfect part time job. It's almost yeah. like not working. And almost. Yeah, and that's and that's where you know this. That's what's great about doing that part time. I really highly recommend people working part time as an instructor, especially if you have a lot of experience. Uh, it's unfortunate that you know a lot of airlines don't allow their pilots to do part-time instructing because they have all this experience working with air traffic control. But the cool thing is they can work in the simulator. I mean that that's that's something they can do and say, hey, listen, this is this is what happens in real life. You know, this is how it works in the system, that type of thing. And I think that's wonderful. Someone like yourself, you know, that is, is a great asset towards uh, towards a flight school or anybody with some experience. You know, any type of experience. So I'm I'm a big fan of of part-time instructors. And, and people making some extra money doing that. 
you know, it's kind of. But if you want to make even less, you start podcasting. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> you know, it's interesting that uh, uh, there are there are times in life. You know, they get a little bit philosophical that you know the money's not worth it. I mean, I I actually take time off to do teaching that I do part time and lectures that I do part time. But you know, if I wanted to make more money, it'd be better to go work at the you know the airline I work at. You know, I, I make more in one day than I do at a month doing everything else. So. You know, it's not it's not the money. It's it's having fun and making money at the same time, which is kind of cool. Uh, so it doesn't cost you anything. And when you do that, your wife's happy because <laughs> it's not costing <laughs> any kind of money. And, and that that that's great to hear. That I I know a lot of folks that that really are, have been have you know a lot of reticence to to go into it part time. Can I really make some extra money? Sure, you can. Uh, you can do fairly well too. And, and like a you know part time career, you can do better than going to McDonald's working part time. That's for sure. Um, but anyway, getting—is uh, there anything you want to add as far as working part time? I think I think we've pretty much covered all that. Yeah, I think I think that's about right. Good. The uh, as far as you know, to, before we close up here, um, gosh, you, you know, you've had this incredible journey. I mean, you've done a lot of different things, and uh, you know, there's—it's. Uh, uh, have you ever been a waiter? I mean, that's, it seems like that should be added to this. <laughs> no, no, I have not, actually. <laughs> no, see? So. There's something you haven't done. But it's incredible. You know, and I jokingly say that because uh, a lot of people think that it looks bad on a resume to have all this. And I, I've i never felt that way. Uh, when I interviewed for my first job out of college, uh, I had a little bit of gray hair even back then. Uh, they were wondering if I went to college late in life. I said, well, no. You know, I, I just, you know, decided that I like to work. And, you know, they wondered how I was working in a factory, building TVs for RCA, and how I worked as, you know, a, a computer repair person, all these things before my graduation, thinking I, I had done this later in life, which obviously they can't ask you in an interview how old you are. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it looks bad at all. They're like, wow, that's pretty cool. You, I, you know, I did a lot of these things to have those experiences, and I think all those experiences add to your career. And I'm, I'm hoping you'll say the same thing or something similar. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, there there are so many opportunities out there, and and the the more different types of things you can do, the, just the more well rounded you'll be in whatever career field you're you're interested in. I mean, you know, we we all know people who have done the same thing for thirty or forty years, but you know, you and and me and many other people have just this vast amount of different experiences and and it keeps life interesting doesn't it oh it sure does it sure does i think though a lot of people are scared of taking a leap and there's there's a whole bunch of, of folks listening right now that are thinking about making that leap into a new career direction uh, a lot of them thinking about becoming an airline pilot or, or air traffic control specialist or etc or or even leaving the military even though they're they're not ready to retire yet uh, you know those those people are are thinking about thinking twice. I personally have uh, never worried about it. I I've taken many leaps, and I know that you know you know I have a lot of faith in myself, and I, I know I'll be able to survive. But you're you're a great example of someone who's made many many leaps and into new career directions. I mean, what what kind of advice could you give to somebody who's thinking about it? You know what 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 uh, what would you say to somebody who's thinking of you know I want to try a new direction. I really want to do it. I really want to do it. Well, I, I think really you know, even even before you're looking for something, just don't miss on out on any of your opportunities. Uh, I remember you know, way back in high school. I, I remember this very well, uh, and, and I think I was. In the garage, I have this image of being in the garage with my dad. So I don't know if we were doing something with a car or whatever. But 
I, I think I had already been accepted to the Air Force Academy, or, or maybe it was shortly after I went there. I'm not sure. I was back home visiting. But he told me, you know, Russ, you're going to have a lot of opportunities in your life. Just make sure you take advantage of them. And so th- all throughout my career, you know, anytime I've had the opportunity to do something like the private pilot training, I didn't know where that was going to take me, but it's something I wanted to do. Um, I, I talked about how uh, when I had to leave the Air Force, I, I didn't burn my bridges. <laughs> you know, I, I got my boss to recommend me to, to, to someone else. So, uh, you know, it's, it's about taking advantage of, of the opportunities that come your way because you never know how what you do today is going to affect you in the future. You never know what, what things you took advantage of now might, might pave the way for something new. Um, you, you might not like all of your jobs. <laughs> in fact, I mean, we've all had jobs we don't like, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. But, but from every job, you can certainly learn something. And did, have, have I enjoyed all my jobs in, you know, in the Air Force? Or no, of course not. But, but from all of them, I learned something and I learned maybe something about me and what I wanted to do and adjust my goals and this kind of thing. But, but it, don't, don't pass up those opportunities and, and certainly uh, don't burn any bridges on your way. Like, like the, uh, the Air Force Academy applicant I, I talked about who pretty much shot himself in the foot right there you know, by, uh, by saying he didn't really want to go to the Air Force Academy anyway. So... So yeah, just just don't don't worry about the leave. Prepare yourself. I mean, I think you've talked about before about having a if, if you're going to make a change in career, you need to make sure you have you're financially able to do it, and uh, you know have some you know some savings and that kind of thing. But but d- don't get yourself stuck in in a job you don't like. You know, take that leave. Get, go get some additional training if you needed to prepare yourself for a new career, uh, college courses, whatever. If, if it's in flight, you know, get yourself a new rating or something like that, and, and just just go ahead and do it. I, I think that's great advice. I mean, that you know, look at me as an example. I was trying to get out of the my career field as being a uh, you know being a, a computer programmer and designing computer systems, that type of thing, and that's what I have my degree in. And uh, I said to myself, well, you know, I want to leave this. I want to leave it right away. But then I realized it was fairly lucrative. And that was the, my, my out, is taking the money I made there and pay for something to move me forward. Yeah. And so you may have that situation where you say you're in a career right now that pays really, really well. Uh, just make sure when you move careers that you know you may be making less for a long time. Uh, but but take that money now and get everything you can and, and get move forward with that money. I think that's important to get as many ratings as you can uh, and get everything under your belt before you make the leap. Because you know your first year at an airline, your first year flight instructing, your first year as an air traffic controller. You know air traffic controllers as in uh, what is it during training they only make like seventeen thousand uh, until they're through that training period or whatever that's called, and then they make their their first year salary. But it's not that much money. You know we all talk about how air traffic controllers make tons of money. They go through a low pay scale too, you know, unless you have some experience, that type of thing. So uh, it's it's different, you know. It's it's not not most jobs you have to make a sacrifice for uh, when you're moving into a new career field because even though you have 20 years experience, it may not be experience in the field that you're in, um, and that's important to know. Uh, is uh, you know people are looking for a flight time if you're a flight instructor or you're a pilot, they're they're looking for experience in that that different career field. Yeah, well, it's kind of ironic you're talking about uh, all that in our whole discussion today because I actually I'm, I'm currently going to be uh, following my own advice here. I'm, looking, I'm kind of uh, undergoing a little bit of a change of employment. Um, I'm moving to Oklahoma City and, you know, some of the exactly the same type of stuff that you've mentioned here, being ready for it and, 
and make it sure it's what you want, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be following our own advice here uh, here very soon. And what's going to happen is you're going to report back to us, and we're going to talk to you again on on, on how you've been progressing. And uh, there you go. Yeah. I would lo- I'd love to do that. Just a, a quick follow up, or at least writing it. It's it's uh, it'd be really interesting to see see what happens there. Well, Russ, you know, is, is there any anything else, any general advice you can give us, and uh, as far as just in in life in general, as far as careers, uh, or did we do we cover just about everything? You know, find find something you enjoy and, and do that, and, and be good at it. You know, whatever you're doing, just just work, do your best at it, and uh, and try to excel and and, and progress in, in whatever your whatever your goals are, whatever you enjoy. I think that's great, Russ. You know, enjoy it, be good at it, get paid to do it. That you can't beat it, and that that's that's awesome. Uh, Russ, I really appreciate that advice, and uh, I appreciate your coming here today. This has been great. I mean, it just is incredible the different things that you've done, and um, you know, I, I, we're definitely going to keep in touch with your journey. And and if I have, if uh, folks have questions, I'd like to forward them to you if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. That's no problem at all. Great. And you know, if you do have any questions for Russ, just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com/contact and uh, fill out the form, or just uh, write an email feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'll I'll forward them along to Russ, and uh, he can give you a little information there. Russ also has a, a blog. That's if you're into the technical aspects of aviation, it's pretty interesting. What's the name of that blog, Russ? Well, it doesn't really have a name, okay. but uh, it's uh, it's CFI Russ uh, Charlie Foxtrot India. Uh, Russ, R-U-S-S, C-F-I Russ, dot blogspot dot com. And on that blog, I really go into, like Carl said, some of the very technical details of approach and departure procedure design, the work I did for the FAA. And so it, it's, it can get pretty much into the weeds, but I, I try to keep it at least at a, an easy-to-read level. But uh, I, I answer uh, questions from, from, uh, from people and uh, put, put them on the site and try to help try to help people understand what exactly goes into that kind of work and when you're flying an instrument approach. Great. And if you have questions, you can go to that site and, and ask, uh, ask Russ about that. Absolutely. Uh, also, if you want information about some of the jobs we talked about here, specifically I'll have some of the salary breakdowns of uh, uh, the uh, air traffic controllers and, uh, that, and the transport management, that type of thing. I'm going to put that, uh, them out there on the website. I also have a link. Uh, we talked a lot about FAA career, so what I'm going to do is going to put a link to the uh, FAA jobs, their their career website there, so that you can actually look at those and see how you can start applying, what the what the qualifications are, that type of thing. Uh, so that'll be really important. Well, Russ, again, thanks so much, and uh, I hope you'll come back again if we have some questions. You got it, Carl. Anytime. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Russ. And uh, you know, if you're you're looking at a career change, uh, no matter what it is. I mean, you look at Russ and see what he's done. And uh, he, I hope he's inspired you to, to look at what you're doing and to think about what you're doing and, and have you move forward, but, but in a very responsible manner, just like Russ. Russ has done so many different things, and, but he's done it responsibly. And he, he's been able to you know, keep food on the table, keep a job, and move forward with something that that he likes and something that he becomes good at and makes money with. And, and whatever that is, you, you define what that is and you do that. I, I know you can. I have faith 
that you can do that. I, I have faith that you can keep moving forward in this career of aviation. It's such a wonderful career, the field, just aviation in general, no matter what you do. If you decide you, you want to be an air traffic controller or a pilot, somebody who designs, approaches, a mechanic, uh, the people are just so interesting and fascinating, come from so many different varied backgrounds. And I'm, I'm hoping you're getting a feeling for that through all these different episodes. So I, I really encourage you to keep moving forward. Take one step, if you could, let me know what that step is. Write us in and, and try to inspire other people. Let me, If you have an inspirational story, write it to me. Because I know there's somebody out here who's struggling with the same thing. And if you've been able to have some type of breakthrough in your career, I want to hear about that. And also, if you if you could, just go out to aviationcareerspodcast.com and uh, take a look at our sponsors. And, uh, and you know, they're the folks that he- help keep this, uh, this podcast rolling. Well, folks, if you could, do me a favor. Think about something right now that you can do that'll move you forward in your career. And I want you to take that step either now, if you're driving, you know, stop the car first and, or get to your destination. But make that, take that step now or take it tomorrow. Write it down somewhere. Remember it and make that one goal. Make that one goal yours. Take that step and that one step will lead to another and lead to a number, another and another and another. Remember Moving forward in your career, you know, this this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I know that you're going to make it to wherever you want to go. And you're going to actually make it to your career goal. And, and you're going to be able to do whatever it is you want to do. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening today. And safe flying. We'll talk to you again next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.